Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day out there. Almost wish we could be outside. <laughs> it's that nice. But uh, so good to have you join us. And um, just a few things, some scattered thoughts, I guess you could call them. Um, interesting what you prayed, Tab, about the Lord seasoning my mouth with salt. And you'll see why as I go on into the teaching. <laughs> Not sure what, what, that'll, what that means. You'll, you'll understand. Um, just want to say to uh, Krista, uh, I stood back just observing as you were leading, and um, it was sort of like I saw your, your, um, how, how you do things. And it's just, you worship and open the door to invite us to come and join you and worship Jesus. And then you just leave us there at the feet of Jesus. And uh, it's sweet. You have such a wonderful gift. Bless you. Bless you. It's, uh, don't know how she does it, but she does it. And it's, I, I, think it, I think how she does it is she spends much time with Jesus just worshiping. And that just spills out in her leadership here. Um, yes, today, uh, at the end of the uh, annual family gathering, I will be heading out on sabbatical. It's a policy the vineyard developed back in 2003, four, somewhere around there, uh, for the full-time pastoral staff to be able to take time to pull away from the day-to-day pastoral duties and to Seriously, it's, it's sort of like a three-month retreat, sort of. Not going anywhere, but it's just allowing God to come and speak. One of the things I have learned through, my, through the decades of following Jesus is that if you ask God to speak and you'll take the time to listen, God will speak to your heart. Um, that's a sure thing. So there's a little bit of, I'm curious to see what God wants to say to me. There's a lot of questions I have for God. There's a lot of reflections I want to do, things, books I want to read. And, um, but I am curious to see. So, so not that I'm not nervous and I'm not, I don't have any trepidation listening to or hearing what God has to say, but it's going to be interesting. Anyway, um, so that begins uh, actually tomorrow, my sabbatical does. So, and, and I just want to say to the church leadership, to also the Cambridge Vineyard family, that the fact that you offer this to your senior leaders, uh, senior staff, is a huge blessing. And you need to know that I am forever grateful for, for the gift that you give. So, thank you so much for this. Really appreciate that. Now, going away. So, I want you to know that... Uh, Everything transfers over to Tab Fellman, who, who will be uh, taking the reins for the next three months. And uh, I just want to say, like, I have full confidence in Tab. Uh, and I know, I know being in that position where things are turned over, it is a little nerve-wracking because you wonder if, you know, if you're going to be able to do it. And you'll do it, Tab. No problems. Um, the Lord is with you. And, and the thing about Tab, she's, she's solid in her faith. I always tease her that she's um, our little resident mystic. Um, because if you look at, read some of the ancient mystics, they just had this deep, deep love for Jesus. Uh, you think of uh, Teresa's, St. Teresa's, uh, St. Saint, Saint Teresa of uh, Avila, of Lisieux, 
St. Francis of Assisi, John of the Cross, all these different people. And there's even modern-day mystics that just, they have this deep love and tab. You, 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 you carry that, and it spills out at times. And, and uh, we're blessed. We're blessed to have that, like we really are, because it just takes us into a place we're not used to, right? It's, it, it's out of this, not in our head, but in, from our heart. And so uh, you're in good hands, guys. And she has a good team around her. And so things are just, you won't even notice. It'll just be smooth. So anyway, um, so I've said all that. Now, my teaching, it's not, so we finished our series last week. And it was like, what do I want to say? What does the Lord want me to say? Um, And I asked the Lord, I had different things coming to my mind. And I just couldn't think of, Exactly, until, you know, I just took, again, take time away, listen, and I just came back to this one thing again and again and again. And so I entitled this, What I Feel the Lord Has Left Me With to Ponder Over the Three Months. And I also want to leave with you, there's there's a question. I leave you with one question. That's what I've entitled this. So where I want to start is with a story that goes back to 2000, around 2008, 2009. I began an at-home workout program. And one of the things you could do, uh, you could sign up as like a coach. So the idea of being able to help others who are doing the workout programs and be there for them. But one of the integral things about being the coach is that you also sold the company's products to the people that you were coaching. That was sort of the idea. And a couple of years into doing this workout program and finding some success, I was intrigued, curious about the whole coaching program. And sure, lo and behold, there was a, uh, like a seminar that was taking place in Mississauga uh, in a um, I don't know, was it like a few weeks later? And it was all about uh, becoming a coach. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down and take a look at this and just see what it's all about. And so I went. And um, there was two or three people from that were like full on into this organization. But the guy who gave the presentation, like I, I really liked the guy. He was a really nice guy and not salesy at all and uh, just very warm and, and welcoming. And at the beginning of the, the, the evening, he, he said to us, I'll never forget this, he said, I want, I'm going to share with you uh, the secret to our program, to our programs. And this is so important that you get this down because you'll be able to share this with all others who you are coaching in that. And uh, he said, this is going to help them. And, and so he says, you need to get this down. And so you could see people getting their pads of paper and their pens ready to write this down, right? Because this was, and, and I, I was included. I had my pen out ready because I like to jot things down, make notes, you know, want to zero right in, don't want to miss anything. And, uh, and so he goes on and he says, there's two things that will make all their programs, two things I'm going to give you, two secrets I'm going to give you that's going to make all their programs not just good, but it's going to make them phenomenal and guarantee success. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do you got here, (laughs) right? And so ready, and he says this, first, the first one is hard work, right? It's like, and the second one, he said, is discipline and commitment. And, you know, you sort of stop and you go, 
And I looked around at people, some of the people sitting around me, and we all had sort of the same look on our face, like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> well, that's not really secret sauce. <laughs> you know, that's not what we were waiting to hear. But he wasn't kidding. He was, he was dead serious. And it was just like moments later, it was like, you know what? I'm in. Because this guy is being real. I know I'm not going to get scammed. And he's, he's just being straight up, right? Telling it like it is. Now, at the end of the night, I knew I wasn't going to be a coach because the sales, whole sales thing isn't me. <laughs> I'm not a salesperson. Um, and, that, and that was a significant part of being a coach. But I was committed to their philosophy and to their workout programs. I was, I was committed there. But I have to admit that I did love how he had our attention, right? right? We were all on the edge of our seats and then just laid it out straight. <laughs> and uh, that was something I could buy into. Like I've said a few times, I've been, I'm on a personal quest right now wanting to know just really what it means to actually follow Jesus, to actually be a follower. What does that mean? Like, and I'm asking questions like, am I taking Jesus' teachings seriously? Because they're the core of everything. If I understand Paul correctly, because Paul posits Jesus as being the center of, of all of creation, of everything, the first, the last, the elf, everything, right? He is, Jesus is everything. And so I'm asking, do I take the teaching seriously? Am I willing to have my thinking transformed? Because while I say yes on one hand, I do know that I have resistance here on the other hand. That resistance does get chipped away as you get older, by the way. So if you're young, it's going to get, life is going to chip things away from you. It just will. But so I have been camping out in the Gospels and, and going bit by bit through them, thinking, trying to massage what Jesus says in his teachings, massage that into my mind, into my heart, but also trying to apply it day to day in my life and to live that out. I want to see God. I want to see the world. I want to see life, all other people, as Jesus did and does and how Jesus taught. And I, I want that to be real in my life. If Jesus is real, and if his teachings are life to this, to this world, if they bring life, then I want to walk in that. It's exploring that. Now, teachings that I normally would have just read over and that I wouldn't have flinched at all are now, when I read some of Jesus' teachings, I flinch. And I stop and I pause and I'm going, did you mean this? <laughs> Is this, do I take this for real or, or what? You know, I'm asking those questions. And what I'm finding is that Jesus is a lot like the guy who did that presentation on the coaching, right? You know, very attractive in what he's doing, but then lays it out straight. Jesus doesn't mince words, right? Doesn't make things smooth. Doesn't say things are going to be nice and easy and, you know, you're going to be living in Shangri-La and all this stuff and nothing like that. He just lays it out very straight. And it has me thinking. I, th I think of the church, the church, the broader church. We don't do that so much. We have a tendency to try and, you know, make things look very nice. And we want to make things pleasing. We don't want to upset people because if people get upset, leave. And we, we, you know, we just try to 
try to smooth things over, and we miss some of the intent of Jesus' teachings. And, and, I, and I wonder why we do that, because Jesus was sort of the opposite. He laid it out, this is how it is, will you follow? Is basically the way of Jesus doing things. I was reading Luke, going through Luke's gospel, and Luke, he, he is, uh, just for those who aren't familiar with Luke, he was a physician, also a historian. He wrote a gospel giving a certain perspective of Jesus' ministry and the person of Jesus. But he also, Luke is also the author of what's called the Book of the Acts, Acts of the Apostles, birthing of the early church. And, and Luke's intent was to show his friend Theophilus that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And so Luke does just a wonderful job in both in the gospel and in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Anyway, I'm in the gospel of Luke, in his gospel, and in chapter 14, and uh, near the end there, it's a real simple scene. Jesus is walking along, and a large crowd is following him, and then he stops. And he turns around, and he speaks to the crowd. <laughs> and here is what Jesus has to say. He goes, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. In other words, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. And then Jesus goes into two comparisons, two analogies to help the people that are following to understand. And Jesus, and I'm, I'll read it to you. I'm not, I don't have it up on the screen because I want you to think about Jesus' statements. But he says, For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, and they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And he tells another one, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat their soldiers of, uh, of 20,000 marching against him. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And then Jesus says, so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. And then he goes right into salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And what Jesus is saying in that last sentence is, think deeply what I have just said to you and consider it. Give serious consideration to this. Hearing and understanding means I take it in and I must put it in here, massage it in here, in my heart, in my mind. Think deeply in this. 
If that's not laying it out straight, I don't know what is. But you have to ask yourself the question, is Jesus being serious here? If Jesus is, I'm forced to ask the question, what am I going to do about that? What do I do with that? What do I do with those words? Right? Is this what it means to be a Christian? Because here's the thing. I grew up in church. Born into it. (laughs) No one ever told me, sat me down, and told me to count the cost about following Jesus. (laughs) No one did. No one did. Begs the question, why? (laughs) Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Now, when we talk about cost, I don't want you to think that, like I could say that my, in my life, you know, when I was sensed the call to go into ministry, that there was a cost to that. Well, there was a cost, but that's not what Jesus is talking about because if Jesus calls you to go into missionary work and go to some place you don't want to go or some place in the world that's, you know, halfway around the world or this, There is a cost to that, but the cost that Jesus is talking about to his followers is much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. It's the cost of having to die to yourself every day. Every day. Because if you stay close with Jesus, there's going to be this rub that you come up against all the time in how you interact with others and how you see God, how you see yourself. And with their thinking that is so influenced, right? How I see people, how I see others, how I treat people. There's a cost sometimes for me as a pastor to have to say things, what I sense God is asking me to say that goes against church tradition or or perspectives or philosophies. But here, if Jesus has spoken something to me to follow Jesus means I give all of that up and I have to, every time I have to die to myself. There is a cost to it and it's that cost there. That's part of the cost. I have to give up my ideas to my rights. We live in a culture of my rights. We talk about our rights all the time. Unfortunately, what can happen though in that is that we can transfer that thinking into the gospels, into the good news. And that, that's where you're going to butt up against Jesus and, and Jesus is going to confront you. Because the gospels, when you read the gospels, they're not about my rights. What they are about is my responsibility to you as a person. About honoring you, about respecting you, about preferring you above myself, lifting you up. That's what the gospels call me to. It's what Jesus' teachings, Jesus' life calls me to. It's all of that. That's part of the cost. That's the cost. And frankly, in this passage that we read, what Jesus does in this setting, Jesus lays out three conditions for being a disciple. Now again, do we take Jesus seriously? Or is this just symbolic? And we adapt his teaching to fit, to make it comfortable. Because <laughs> Jesus can make you really feel uncomfortable at times, right? 
Jesus was really adept at thinning the crowd out. <laughs> Very good at it. But there's a purpose behind it. In this passage, the three conditions that Jesus lays out, the first one being to love God above all relationships. What Jesus is not saying here is to push down your other relationships or to disparage other relationships. Uh-uh. We're called to love one another. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. And what we do is we place God above all of that. We place God first and foremost in our life. That's, that's the first condition, right? The second one, carry your cross as you follow Jesus. Cross, what's that? <laughs> it's the thing you die on. It's the thing you die on. And yes, it's dying to my way of seeing things. That's hard. That's hard. It's why we begin our faith journey with baptism. Baptism, when I'm lowered into the water, that signifies I'm dying to myself. When I'm raised back up out of the water, I'm raised to new life. And that's why Paul and Peter and James and John, Jude, and the rest of all, all the writings throughout the New Testament talk to us as if we are now new creations in Christ. Because we are and we are to see ourselves that way. And so we have in the baptism, we die to our way of thinking, our way of seeing things. We surrender it all. We, we let it die. And we now live for Jesus. We now live his way and follow him. Third one, relinquish your stuff. Jesus said there to, if you want to be my disciple, give up everything, all your possessions. We think of all of our, all of our possessions as, well, my TV, my car, you know, my, my running gear, you know, any, anything like that, right? We got, I got to give all that up, you know, my money. It's actually more than that. It's giving up the things you possess in here. It's not dumping everything that you don't think anymore, but Jesus wants to transform our minds. Remember what Paul's prayer, what he said to the Christians in Rome, right? In chapter 12. Therefore, I beg you in view of God's mercy that you would offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, right? And have God change the way you think, transform the way you think and let God transform your mind then you will know what God's perfect will is. That's what Paul reminded us of, that we, the things we hold in here, those philosophies, those ways we think, we possess those. We hold them dearly. And God asks us to hold things with open hands and hold our physical stuff with open hands. That's where generosity flows. Generosity doesn't see that this is mine, don't touch. Generosity goes, no. God's given me this, bless me with this, to bless others, to be a blessing in this world, right? And so the question that Jesus has for me is asking me to think 
deeply about, but I also believe he's asking us to think about over the next three months is what lengths will you go to be known as my disciple? If you're like me, then your answer probably goes something like, well, I'd hope I'd go to all lengths, Jesus. I hope I would. And I say I, say I hope because I know daily there's something that I have to let go of in order to follow, right? Think something gets tweaked, something I'm faced with a challenge, I'm faced with, with something I don't like, I'm made uncomfortable or whatever by someone or something, my thoughts or whatever, and I got to get rid of that. And my desire is I hope I'd go to all lengths, but here's the thing, if you pray that, if you pray that, if you pray, God, help me to go to all lengths. God will take your prayer seriously. He's going to challenge you. Not challenge you in a bad way, but challenge you in a way to help you to grow, to get there. He will take you seriously. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's a hard thing. Because it's going to come at a cost. There is a cost to it. God will honor your prayer, but the path getting there will challenge, as it challenges the deep things, your thinking, your ideas on life. There's going to be maybe a belief or two that will get challenged. Can you let go of those things? Won't go against what Jesus' teachings in the gospel. It won't do that. But there will be things that Jesus will come along and challenge and ask you about, call you to. And he says... Count the cost. Be aware of what it's going to cost to follow me. Be aware. So, the salt. What does that come from? Because <laughs> when you read that whole account about the last analogy of the salt, it almost feels like, Luke, did you just insert this? <laughs> like, it was like an oops, I was supposed to put this up here, but I didn't, I'll throw it down here. It doesn't, doesn't really fit. It fits. And there are different commentators, different scholars have different opinions, not, not wide varying opinions, but different opinions on what Jesus was meaning with this. What I'd have you do is those two analogies, the one of building a house and not having enough money to finish the renovation, or the king going to war when, he do, when the king doesn't have enough soldiers to battle the other king. Those two analogies that Jesus gives, if you take those out and just read Jesus' statements, you sort of get an idea what Jesus is trying to say. So let's do that. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? 
Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The conditions that Jesus lays out make us salty followers that season the atmosphere wherever we go. That we are the change that the world needs to see in our workplace, in the neighborhoods we live in, in our churches. You know, if we're in politics, whether no matter where we work, what areas we work in, live in, interact with, the world needs to see something different from the church that we are like a mirror that people can see Jesus through us. We are to be salty. Otherwise, all we're saying is words, right? That's all we're saying is words. So where do you start? How do you get there? Because my desire, and I say to Jesus, my desire is to follow you, but sometimes Jesus is so hard. It's so hard because of my thinking up here. Gosh, it's locked in. Help me to unlock this and, and, to, and to embrace what it is you teach. So where do you start? Well, we've said it in what we say is the foundation for us as a church here. What is primary, what everything gets built on from this one foundation. And that is love Jesus above everything and everyone else. Make Jesus your ultimate relationship, the primary one in your life. Allow yourself to be, to be loved by God as you love God back. Spend time with God. Cultivate and nurture that friendship. And all of our friend, however that's going to look for you. Look, how I relate to different friends looks different from each, from friend to friend to friend. And how you relate to, to your friends is different from how I relate to my friends. Find out how you relate to God. Do that. Nurture that relationship. Get to know this God who is amazingly loving towards creation, towards you as a person. Because it's worth, as far as the cost goes, it's worth more than anything and everything that this world has to offer. There's an author I read, and he uses the phrase encouraging people to pray dream. You know, like daydream, but to pray dream. And I've tried that where I've, in my prayers, I've just lifted God up and say, God, show me how wonderful you are. And for me, because I like astronomy, right? I like, I like the cosmos and, look, and about that. I will dream about, I will think in my head about what it would be like to just go and, you know, sort of soar through, I don't know if you soar, float through space and, you know, visit the planets in our solar system and then out beyond our solar system to other galaxies and to see all the beautiful creation of God's cosmos, but also to be able to dive into the, you know, the, what's called the nanoscience, the science of the very, very small, that's, 
microscopic, and to go with God and see all of God's beautiful creation. That's that's prey dreaming, right? And just in awe of God. You know, to be, to have that awe. When was the last time you've been awed by God? Whether it's through creation, maybe you've been walking or you've seen the mountains or, or whatever, but to be in awe of God and to have that, that experience of within that awe that you're part of it. We're part of the awe. You know that, right? That's a beautiful thing. We're part of the awe. And to have that is so precious. As we go into this summer, I want you to think deeply about the intimate relationship God desires to have with you. I want you to think deeply about that question. To what lengths would you go to be known as his disciple? How far would you go? Because that's one of the core things that we're, we are pushing through over the next year, few years, is we're called to make disciples, to be Jesus' disciples. What does that look like? How are we going to do that? And the question for us as a church is to what lengths will we go to be known as his disciples? How far will we go? Until I return at the end of the summer, I leave you with this. What do you know about God? Do you ever get the chance to reflect on how all that is came to be? Who else but God could have done it? God, in full authority, looked upon earth. God was stationed so high above, a world's inhabitants looked like insects. And then with such mastery, God laid out the skies and set them in motion. Have you ever looked up and got lost in their beauty? A canopy of clouds by day, stars by night. God reminds us of our place in all things. Even those who carry the most power on earth will be humbled in the presence. Rulers, judges, the rich and powerful, no one measures up to God's greatness. There are only so many breaths between birth and death. We make of our life what we can before the end and we return to nothing more than scraps in the wind. God keeps telling us, nothing compares to me, nothing and no one on earth. All you have to do to know is gaze upon the stars. Who else could have placed them with such precision? Who else knows each star by name? Who else is wise enough to hold the skies together? The stars know who. They honor God, shining salutations for the only one able to tend to them all. So, to those of us who have God's word, To those of us who are the beloved of God, 
How can we hold any thought that who we are and what we do goes unnoticed? How can we think that God forgets our needs? What do we know about God? We are all still learning. God is still teaching. God is the eternal, the everlasting, the creator of all things big and small. We will never wear God out, and we will never know the depths of God's divine wisdom. God strengthens us when we fall, invigorates us year in and year out while we work and worry ourselves sick. The young aren't immune, they wear out too. Even the strongest get weak need and stumble. Nevertheless, those who put their hope in the eternal God will know their strength restored. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run full speed and not grow weary. They will walk miles and miles and never grow faint.